Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. I launched this podcast so that powerful women would share their journey to unlocking their own potential, to empower others, and to inspire change. If you like the show, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast app of your choice. This week, my guest is none other than Caroline Issa, CEO of London-based Tang Group and fashion director for Tank Magazine. Also known as street style royalty because she's a fixture at fashion leagues around the world, the Montreal native describes herself as a businesswoman who loves fashion. Caroline is indeed a former management consultant who's lived around the world. She eventually left her position to join the magazine startup that was Tank at the time, and she hasn't looked back since. She's definitely left her mark on the fashion industry, from collabs with the world's leading brands, including a collection designed with retail giant Nordstrom, through work done through the creative agency within Tank, where she's worked on ad campaigns for a number of major brands from Mulberry to The Beers, Monica Vinader, and more. They also create digital content for several retail and fashion clients, from Hugo Boss to Lane Crawford. In 2007, Caroline also launched BecauseLondon.com, a digital magazine of which she is now editor-in-chief. Caroline's motto of feel the fear and do it anyway has always stuck with me, and you'll hear her discuss it on this podcast. In just a few days, she'll be launching a new fashion collaboration, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and follow her account as well at Caroline Issa to get all the scoop. Support for this week's episode of The Brand is Female comes from our partner, Bumble Biz, where you can network at your own pace on your own terms. Whether you're looking for a new job, new collaborators, or a new mentor, Bumble Biz can help you connect with and learn from like-minded hustlers, bosses, and professionals in your city from the palm of your hand. All you have to do is download Bumble and switch to biz mode. Share your experience, select how you want to network, and start swiping. In a world where your network is your net worth, Build your hive with BumbleBiz. I recently started using BumbleBiz myself because I'm looking to grow the Brandy's female team and wanted to connect with candidates in addition to finding freelancers I can work with. I was extremely impressed by the number of interesting professionals from different backgrounds who I came across on the app, and I made connections that are exactly the resources I was looking for. You'll find Bumble in the Apple App Store and Android Market. And now, here's my conversation with Caroline Issa. Uh, my name is Caroline Issa, and I am the CEO of the Tank Group, and that comprises of Tank Magazine, because London.com and Tank Form are creative agency. So, Caroline, it's a pleasure to have you on The Thank Brand is Female. Thank you so much for speaking with me. What a pleasure. Um, and before we get into all the exciting things that are happening for you at Tank, I want to go back in time a little bit to the start uh, to Caroline as a young girl. <laughs> um, and I happen to know that you grew up in Montreal, Canada. I did. Um, but I'd like to know, I'd like to hear from you, what was your childhood like? And what were you dreaming of becoming or what kind of career were you envisioning for mm. yourself? Uh, well, I did have the luck and destiny to grow up in the beautiful city of Montreal and in Canada where both my parents immigrated to, my mother from Singapore and my father from Lebanon. And growing up was incredibly idyllic. I had such a beautiful childhood. My parents uh, were so supportive and open, I think, as a child and as a young girl growing up in Canada that I could do anything in the world. 
you know, I think up until the age of 13, I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> and I think that's probably because I had amazing teachers. Um, and I really excelled in things like math and science. Good for you. Yeah, in really like non-typical girl back then subjects, mm -hmm. which I really loved. And that was all because of the support of amazing teachers. And then I think, um, you know, both my parents were relatively stylish. My father especially so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, my father had this, like, he used to sew his own clothes when he was a teenager. I know. Unbelievable. Whereas my mom was more sort of like into luxury fashion mm. back in the day. And I think my love of fashion magazines, I don't know how I picked up my first copy of Vogue, but I was quite young, maybe like 13, 14, or mm. back then there was Sassy, mm -hmm. um, Sassy Magazine, and Harper's Bazaar under Liz Tilburis, and this world of fashion magazines really kind of opened up in this entire world for me, and I used to be obsessed with magazines, mm. and my parents <laughs> kindly allowed me to uh, subscribe to them, and I just sort of loved the glamour. I loved the women that I read about. Mm. I remember I had taken out um, a page of this female scientist who was supremely chic and had put her on my wall mm. saying that beauty and brains could exist in many packages. <laughs> and I think, you know, I was actually scouted at the age of 14 by um, a photographer and then that led me to um, sign up with Folio Models mm. that was headed up by this incredible woman, Corinne Porachia who became like a mentor to me. Mm -hmm. But I realized at a very young age that I hated being a model, that I hated being told what to do. Mm. You know, I spent a summer in Milan at the age of 17, and it was an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it really taught me that if I ever wanted to work in the world of fashion, I wanted to be on the side making the decisions. Yeah, you don't want to be in front of the camera. Not really, and I was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, I just Somehow I doubt that. <laughs> no, 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 trust me, trust me. I was a terrible model. But it really kind of made me into a feminist, interestingly mm, enough. Mm -hmm. And it also made me decide that I wanted to go to undergraduate business school. Okay. And I wanted to become something in the world of business. But how did it make you a feminist, you think? You know, I think that summer in Milan um, taught me so much. I was surrounded by incredibly strong women, mm -hmm. my peers. Um, in a quite a, you know, Italian chauvinistic mm. sort of way and being a mixed race um, teenager, you know, my mother being Chinese, my father mm. Iranian, Lebanese. In Italy, I was either too Asian or not Asian enough as right. a model. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it really taught me about self-confidence, about kind of saying no when the time meant... Um, not fearing what the repercussions were, and also kind of becoming very protective of the young women around me who were really getting influenced about feeling too, you know, too large mm. in size or um, not pretty enough. Mm, and it mm -hmm. kind of made me just realize that, God, you know, we as women have to stick together for yeah. one, and two, also really believe in ourselves mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that nobody can tell you how you should be feeling and that nobody should tell you that you're, you know, less than yeah. or not pretty not enough, 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 small enough, something. not whatever. Exactly. Mm. Not tall enough, too Chinese, you know, fat, whatever it was. Mm. And it really weirdly gave me the sense of um, self-confidence, mm. whereas That's it could have broken yeah, me the other way. And I saw a lot of other young women. Mm who were not able to kind of get that out of that same experience. 
So I ended up um, applying to McGill, where I thought I was going to go, mm -hmm. and then to University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia because I had met a program director and I took my SATs really last minute. I knew nothing about the Ivy League system. <laughs> and I ended up getting um, accepted. And my first day at that college was my first day on campus. I'd never visited. Yet never even set foot. I never mm. even set foot. And most, you know, people go on college campus tours and they visit a bunch of places. They visit. Yeah. And I think that's just <laughs> kind of like led me my entire way. I literally just go feet first mm -hmm. and I sort of I'm confident that it'll all work out. Mm -hmm. And I studied undergraduate at uh, the Wharton School of Business, which is this incredible school full of A-type personalities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that helped me raise my kind of confidence and A-game. And, mm -hmm. and after graduating, I became a management consultant and I moved to San Francisco. And I really embedded myself in the world of business, working for large corporations, kind of as an analyst, doing financial analysis and... Um, really everything as far removed from fashion as possible, mm -hmm. except that my first client was Nordstrom. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of crunching numbers on um, the petite and plus size strategy for Nordstrom. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, okay. under a really amazing team of people. Um, and I learned sort of the benefits and advantages of having really structured thinking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. around really open questions. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny how like, you know, all these things have kind of led me to a place where I am today. Mm. And so Nordstrom, you were working based in San Francisco, yeah. but then something took you to London, to London yes. that I remember in the yes. story. Yeah. So, you know, I had Nordstrom, I worked in Texas for six months, then they moved me to Singapore, which I was really grateful for because my grandmother was there, my mother's family was there, so okay. I got to really get in touch with my Asian side, of mm -hmm. my sort of heritage. But after a while, and I was working for a bank client, I was like, God, this is not for me. <laughs> Please just get me back into retail, which yeah, I had okay. really loved. Yeah, yeah. And so they moved me to London, my old company, and um, I started doing corporate strategy work for Boots, the mm. chemist, which mm -hmm. wasn't quite sexy retail, but it was retail nonetheless. Yeah. But I was spending four days in Nottingham, and that's when I had met the partners of Tank Magazine, which at the time was this tiny, very cool, very edgy independent magazine through a mutual friend and you know they were like this is a really great little magazine but they're creative people they're not business people could you just go take a look at their books help them out so I used to spend my weekends sort of when I was in town kind of just trying to help this little mm. cool business full of interesting people doing interesting things mm -hmm. and that's when I really fell in love with fashion fashion publishing mm -hmm. and I decided to Leave my very stable, well-paid, expat package, you know, kind of big shot job, mm -hmm. much to my parents' dismay. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of quit my job and, and join this little magazine um, as uh, a business partner and as a publisher. Mm -hmm. And especially, I, I essentially spent my first three years just completely hidden away, trying to understand the business, mm -hmm. trying to stabilize the business. And at that point, they were creating mag this incredible magazine for Levi's called Mind, mm -hmm. which had won a DNA D award. It was like in a museum. They were doing, you know, Giorgio Armani perfume packaging design and perfume bottle design for L'Oreal. It was just really exciting. Mm -hmm. Right. And... Um, and that was 17 years ago. Wow. <laughs> I know. That, that flew by. That flew by. Um, 
Yeah, I can't believe it was 17 years ago. So at that point, you decided to move to London permanently yeah. and work with Tank. Yes. Um, tell me, did you have any role models? So, and you had made that shift mm. from business to kind of fashion mm. and, and related projects yeah. full time. Yeah. Um, where who who was an inspiration mm. for you, a role model at yeah. that point in your life? You know, becoming an entrepreneur, so becoming your own boss, when you were so used to having kind of this big corporate organized, you had an IT person who could help you when your mm. email didn't work, to all of a sudden I was part of a six-person, five-person team where we had to do everything ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I reached out to a lot of people. I kept in touch with my old bosses from, from my consulting days, and they had put me in touch with the first woman CEO of Harrods, Marty Wickstrom, mm -hmm. um, who had come, you know, and she'd moved to London because of Harrods, and she was sort of a person who I could bounce off ideas with. Then at the time, there was this um, kind of hugely successful, then huge spectacular failure called Boo.com, which was one of the first... Um, e-commerce uh, websites oh, yeah. mm -hmm. that Natalie Massenet actually mm -hmm. used as a model to launch Net-A-Porter. Mm -hmm. And actually we got Ernst Malmsten, who was one of the founders of Boo, in conversations with Natalie in an old issue of Tank, which oh, was great fantastic. because she had brought all these newspaper clippings to show him. <laughs> and um, he had written a book and he strangely put his email address in, uh, in the foreword of his introduction. And I emailed him saying, look, I've just become an entrepreneur. You've obviously had insane, you know, experiences. Can we meet up? And he met up with me. And it was, you know, just really interesting to hear from one entrepreneur to another, like what their experiences were. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so, you know, I would reach out to a lot of different people. And I think I didn't have one mentor because there wasn't anybody in the publishing world that I knew that I could reach out to. Okay. But I made sure to like... I was quite proactive right. in even people that I had never met before, mm -hmm. kind of saying, do you mind meeting me for a coffee? I've just become an entrepreneur and I would love to get some advice. So let people you reached out to and kind of just informally yeah. were bouncing off ideas yeah. with. And, and this is before kind of Instagram DM, yeah, you know, yeah. this was sort of by email, this was by letter, this was by three phone. degrees of separation by <laughs> yeah. phone, cold calling. Cold calling was a big thing back then. Right. You know, and I think it was really important to just reach out and try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And it worked. Sometimes, usually. But I got to meet a lot of people. But to mm -hmm. be honest, my business partners, Andreas and Masood, were huge. Like, were, you know, teaching me everything about the business. Mm -hmm. And then I got to meet a lot of my um, inspirations. You mm -hmm. know, like we were doing some work for Christian Lacroix. We yes. were doing all the art direction for his lookbooks. And he's become like my fashion godfather. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through through the clients even, I was soaking in so much. Mm -hmm. and, and because I was young, but pretty fearless mm -hmm. about sort of just asking a lot of questions, mm -hmm. I think that taught me so much. Mm. And how was that, how was it building credibility because you were coming, mm. not necessarily from the fashion mm. world, but you were, mm. you know, coming to London, the capital yeah. of 
fashion and and, and yeah. trends in Europe and starting to really yeah. immerse yourself in that world but not coming from that world no that's a great question I had zero credibility mm. I even think my tank team you know I had a few people leave when I joined because they were like who is this person you know she's a business person <laughs> with a terrible haircut and horrible clothes she oh, only wears funny. navy suits like why is she coming to work in a suit you know I couldn't shake off my kind of consulting days mm. and a couple of people left and I think you know, to build credibility, I think you have to um, create great product. Mm. And I think to create great product, you have to recognize that you need a really great team around you, mm. that you can't, I could never put a magazine still today together by myself, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I know. Um, but I think that's the one thing I knew I could do was I could work and I could recognize great people who would help me create beautiful things mm -hmm. that would gain me credibility. Right. And I think, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has said you need 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. Mm -hmm. And that's about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And around the 10 year mark is when I actually felt like I wasn't a fraud or mm -hmm. that I had that credibility to actually <laughs> sit in front of a CEO and tell them what to do yeah. or the marketing director of a huge luxury brand and say, this is what I think you know, you could be doing mm -hmm. and feel like I knew what I was. Who had these amazing anecdotes about um, putting people in their place. Mm. And even recently, because I think we've come a long way yeah. and, you know, you've been in, in London for 17 years mm -hmm. and you were in the business world before that. Mm -hmm. um, I think in 2019, things are a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But as women, we've all experienced that, you know, that meeting or that conversation when someone is just talking at us, mm -hmm. not really interested in our point of view. Mm -hmm. So as someone who was playing the role mm -hmm. of consultant and bringing forward your ideas, um, do you have any, any anecdotes or feedback? Mm -hmm. how, how was that dynamic, you know, as a woman heading tank? Yeah, you know, I think, I think the fashion industry, if anything, we're quite lucky, is, mm. a, is an industry that is quite dominated by incredible females. Yes, that's true. I think in my consulting days, I probably felt, you know, there were fewer women role models that I could see having kind of balanced lives at the top of their game. Mm. As a female entrepreneur in the fashion industry and in the publishing industry, there have obviously been many cases where men, more so than women, but there have been some women who kind of, yeah, they don't let you talk or they teach you how to suck eggs, as they say here, mm -hmm. sort of tell you what you should be thinking when you're like, I have done this for 17 years. And you know, it, it happened to me two weeks ago. It's what we call <laughs> mensplaining in Men's North America. Mensplaining, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, I think you can quickly tell when those conversations are not going to be productive. Yeah. And so I kind of, I just tend to wrap them up really quickly mm. um, because those are not the kind of relationships that are going to lead to any sort of productive outcome, I mm -hmm, think. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, on the other hand, I feel like I've never really embedded this idea of me as a female CEO. Um, you know, I just think uh, as an entrepreneur, you're just coming up with challenges every day. Yeah. And I think the highs are extremely high when you kind of feel like you've gotten a success that day and the lows are extremely low. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've learned of 17 years of owning my own business is that that, you know, that is a constant yeah. cycle. Right. There is never a time. You might have a longer winning time of yeah. highs, but then you will have a It'll long time, a period, period of lows. lows. <laughs> 
And I think, you know, just facing challenges every day. That yeah. every day I know I can expect two incredible highs and yeah. one big cutting in their low. Yeah. And it just becomes this like hum. Mm -hmm. And I think being a female is just sort of, you know, or like getting mansplained to or being taught to suck eggs one day. It's just kind of part and parcel. Right. And I don't really, I don't know, I've just never really thought of it as something specific that I have to fight against. Right. It's part of the ongoing challenges of being a woman entrepreneur. Anyway. It is. Mm -hmm. It's just being an entrepreneur. Period. Period. Right. But I do think that 2019, we're in a great place mm -hmm. where women are feeling more empowered to mm -hmm. speak up. I think it's just about speaking up. I think it's being part of this conversation. I think it's about having something to say. Yes. And I think women, especially in our DNA, are less inclined to say things mm -hmm. or less inclined to put your hand up. There's been so many studies to show that mm -hmm. young female students are the ones that don't put their hand up in yeah. class, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's in our DNA. And mm -hmm. I think if anything today, we're, we're telling other young women that, you know, like you got to just force yourself yeah. a little bit Let's more. Let's change that. Let's change that. And there's no reason why you shouldn't mm -hmm. and not to feel the fear about making mistakes because Boys, girls, men, women, we all make mistakes. Right. Yes. Um, and to come back, so what I wanted to ask you about before, you've become, um, you are a, um, I don't want to use, I'll use the term trailblazer, I'll use the, the, the word leader. Uh, you are also known as, well, I think in the fashion world, people very much look up to you. And I think young women who are interested by a career in fashion mm -hmm. or publishing or mm -hmm. any connected industry, uh, look up to you as a role mm -hmm. model and, nice. and as a uh, specifically as a woman role model in the industry. And you've championed and supported a lot of young designers, whether it's uh, you know clothing, accessories, mm -hmm. uh, footwear, and so on. Uh, we see you at every fashion week mm -hmm. around the world. Um, and I think you really make a point of, um, of supporting new talent and emerging talent. Yeah. Um, how 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 is it in your eyes? How do you see that sense of responsibility mm. in the industry? And I know you've also championed women designers specifically, not just women, obviously. Mm. But um, is that something that you consciously think of, mm. and that you decide to take on that role and champion all of this young and new talent? Well, I'm very grateful and honored that you would um, articulate it that way. I think. I think I wonder if it's coming from an independent sort of place, being a small mm. business um, in a very conglomerate-led kind of publishing world, um, where I definitely believe that if you work hard and you, you have talent, whether you're big or small, that you should be recognized for mm. that. <clears throat> and I think that the way that I have tried to position what we do and what I do is certainly around championing young talent mm -hmm. because young talent have to grow to become big talent. And um, I think it's just so important to share what tiny small brands do, the craft, this is sort of, there's so many businesses now that are so socially responsible that yes. are thinking through either sustainability or working with women cooperatives or kind of artisanship, you know, things that have real value, that mm. have real um, DNA, that have incredible stories. And I think I admire storytellers. Mm. And when you can get me or you in five seconds with the best kind of story, I think that should be shared. Mm. And 
You know, I think that if more people could support young talent, that there would be a lot more rising to the top, a lot more diverse voices, yes. mm -hmm. a lot more different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I think the benefit of being an independent publisher is that, you know, we can help that. Right. And I think, you know, if I think about legacy, like what is legacy at the mm -hmm. end of the day? And what I would love for Tank and my platforms to be known for is to have supported young talent right. and to have to brought like diverse voices mm. that don't normally get a look in, you know, that they can get heard. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that's really important for, for what I do and for, for me to also 17 years later, still be excited by what I do. Right. Okay. That's important. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Um, something else I want to talk about with you is, um, it, so in this role that you play for, uh, you're the ambassador for Tank, you're also the ambassador, I think, for a, a certain fashion industry, traveling to different fashion weeks, and you, you know, you are photographed endlessly, mm -hmm. and always wearing fantastic outfits, <laughs> and the most interesting Thanks. clothes and accessories, so your picture does end up, you know, uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and also having uh, the platform Tang, the platform Because Magazine and, and your own, uh, you are known as, a, as an influencer in the world of fashion. I want to know about your relationship with social media. <laughs> oh, that old thing. Yes, my, so, my social media relationship. It's complicated today, I think. Um, you know, it's complicated in the sense that I'm a huge... I'm grateful to what social media has done mm -hmm. in terms of allowing marginalized voices to have a platform and a way that people have um, been able to discover those voices. Right. And I'm grateful to even myself having a platform where I can communicate directly mm. with people from all over the world. Yeah. And it's incredible the kind of messages that I can get when I actually get to my DMs. Mm -hmm. You're pretty good with DMs. I'm pretty though. good. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good because I'm fascinated by how that connection works. Right. I think the and, down, and you manage your own. I manage my own. Absolutely. Other women in a similar position yeah. would have, yeah. you know, a team handling no. all of their posting no, and no, community no. management. I mean, you know, there's a reason why I'm a magazine publisher. I love having a one-to-one -one voice right. and communication kind of channel with someone. Mm. Um, I think the downside that I'm seeing today is that the algorithm is being controlled by these big businesses, yeah. our privacy, our data, obviously nothing is for free, mm -hmm. and our data is being used to kind of profiteer for these huge businesses. Mm -hmm. But what really drives me crazy is that this control of the algorithm means that Instagram, for example, controls who gets to see what yes. I put out. Right. And that is that algorithm, I think, is becoming harsher and harsher. And it means that content that I put out does not get shown right. to all of my followers. Right. And that is what I think there will be some sort of rebellion mm. against mm -hmm. because I do think that the control that Facebook and Google and um, you know Fang, as mm -hmm. they call it, mm -hmm. sort of Facebook, um, Amazon, Apple, uh, Netflix, and Google, mm -hmm. You know, that, that is going to come to a head. Right. And I don't know in what time frame, but I feel like <clears throat> people aren't really talking about that. Mm -hmm. And 
it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's rumors that Instagram are going to take off likes that, poor, I mean, Canada, <laughs> Canada being the first test case. And that's so interesting yeah. because that happened to me while I was in the UK yeah. and just over, and then I noticed yeah. one evening that your likes, the were, likes off. were gone. You're kidding. So you are <laughs> one of these test cases. A- apparently. And only, yeah, anyway. And it's, and I didn't get the warning that this was you a did. test. A friend of mine did. Um, it, but I feel like that's the power that these platforms are, but we're also giving them that power. We are giving them that power. And I think that I do, you know, today in the newspaper, there's some study that says social media does not influence our mental health. And that is absolute crap Mm -hmm. because even myself who, you know, I feel like if anything, my whole career has led to trying not to be led to this idea of like what the superficial and, you know, uh, that one is more than one's life. Yes. Can still get affected. There is FOMO. There is like, why did that post get liked enough? Or, you know, I've posted something really substantial. Why aren't people liking that? Or why do they only like pictures when I'm in it? It makes me feel a lot better that Caroline Lisa <laughs> yes. also feels that way. Absolutely. And my God, I'm trying to put my phone down a lot yes, more. Yeah, yeah. But God, you know, so I feel like absolutely mental health of teenagers, of you know, mm-hmm. people of all ages are mm-hmm. absolutely getting affected to what social media is. And it's an incredibly dangerous thing. Yeah. But I do feel like, you know, there's a lot, like I said, changing. There's an eye of the storm that we're in right now. And mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to happen. Like, I'm very curious to see what, you know, you as a test case. That's so fascinating. You know, how you're going to feel mm. about this. And the likes are very interesting because on one hand, um, and a lot of people are saying this is great, we'll focus on content and not on likes so much. I'm not sure that's mm. the end game. Yeah. Um, I believe you know Facebook is building a platform to become a play, a pay to play. Absolutely. Uh, and they've, they've already made that move. Absolutely. Any any company that wants content to get across has to buy advertising, Absolutely. promote posts and so on. But um, also what I don't like about it is as somebody who does marketing and branding work, I also obviously work with influencers and I look at their engagement rates by and the number of likes is one of the key indications. Yeah. So somebody who has 100,000 followers only gets 40 likes per yeah. post, you know there's something off. Absolutely. And now we're not seeing those metrics. And now engagement is going to have to be measured by comments mm-hmm. or shares or, yeah. um, you know, archiving a post. Yeah. And I think that's really changing yeah. the model that we're used to. No, absolutely. And I, I just think that there's so many kind of KPIs. and mm. I don't know. I just think that there is... Um, there is going to be a real blowout mm-hmm. soon, I think, in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, and I think, you know, platforms like Telegram, which are really popular in Russia, the yes. Middle East, yeah. WeChat is really fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah. and Instagram with influencers being able to kind of create shoppable things and the ads, it's just a changing platform. Mm. And I have no doubt that something new will come to replace yes. that. Yeah. Um, what that is and how that's going to affect us. I, I'm so curious. Mm-hmm. But Instagram is here to say it's just a constantly evolving thing. And I think so many of us have to be so careful about, yeah. you know, tying self-worth into yes. the number of likes. Yes. And I think that if you're not careful, it can be a very, very dangerous place mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. 
what would be your advice for young girls, you know, interested by a current fashion? And obviously, we can't ignore social media. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if you want to work in anything that's remotely tied to mm -hmm. the world of retail mm -hmm. or, you know, anything mm -hmm. that's that's sellable online, mm -hmm. really, and especially fashion, because the visual medium is so important mm -hmm. since, you know, we are selling looks and mm -hmm. trends and um, what would be your advice for young women? You know, how should they navigate mm -hmm. the world of social media today? Uh, um, what advice would I give them? I mean, I would say to kind of question things, mm. you know, don't take things always at face value. We all put our best life, hashtag best life, you know, whatever that is, um, forward. It's always the happy things. Yeah. It's always the most beautiful things. You know, I tend to... Even myself, I tend to post things when I'm traveling and yeah. I'm doing glamorous things. Of I'm going to a Dior cruise show in Marrakesh. Yeah. And yeah. obviously that's going to show what my life is, but that's not like 100% reality. Mm -hmm. That's my one day reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're not, we're not seeing you, uh, you're not you know, seeing coming off the, the plane from <laughs> totally. Hong Kong after a really long flight. Exactly, or slogging around Milan carrying 12 <laughs> magazines to do ad sales meetings, or meeting with my accountant. You know, you probably don't want to see that kind of stuff. <laughs> Actually, I'd be curious to see <laughs> Yeah, well, it's very boring, trust me. Um, so I think it's just to question things. I think it's also to, like, follow people that have sort of something interesting to say. Right. yeah. I think it's... Having their own point of view. Having their own point of view. I think it's, you know, trying to discover, use social media as a discovery tool for mm -hmm. new voices, for young talent, mm -hmm. for small brands, for um, interesting voices. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's so much stuff that you can find mm -hmm. that's really great and kind of helps broaden your world. Mm. But I also would say, like, just, you know, don't spend hours on social media. Read a book. Go to a gallery. Go for dinner. Cook something. Yeah. You know, immerse yourself in real world culture. Yeah. And I think for me, it's about small snippets of kind of gaining what's interesting mm. in social media. Yeah. But alongside real life experience, yes. go into stores, see what they're selling. So putting down the phone is putting as down the phone. Um, you know, and just experiencing, touching, yeah. seeing what um, stores like Browns or LNCC or Mookie Moo are selling, what kind mm. of small designer brands are, and then look them up on social media. Yeah. But, you know, experience IRL. Right, right. That's good advice. Mm. <laughs> um, and now let's talk about um, Caroline, the woman, mm. the entrepreneur running the, the tank empire today. Um, it's you have a super busy life and um, you know jet setting from you were just in marrakesh and in in the south of france mm -hmm. before that for the festival d'hier um how do you ensure that you stay grounded mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis what keeps you mm -hmm. balanced healthy happy physically and mentally mm. that's a good question um it used to be exercise i must admit i think the travel has not allowed me to mm. kind of continue doing exercise i love to read physical books and mm. magazines i subscribe to the new yorker every week and i read that every week mm -hmm. on my plane rides at home and i think connecting to interesting voices um is still really, really important for me i go to galleries on the weekend mm -hmm. i um you know have started saying no a little bit more mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
sort that's of, always tough. That's always tough, but I'm doing more for myself. I'm trying to sort of go home earlier and watch TV. You know, mm. I think Fleabag has just finished in the yeah, UK and yeah. it's been magical. And Game of Thrones, I just watched last night in front of a television <laughs> and it was amazing. And I think, you know, I've always loved pop culture and I think mm. Netflix and television have kind of let me um, marinate a little bit some of the craziness of this glamorous world that mm. does exist in fashion, which mm -hmm. I'm so lucky to be a part of. Gogglebox is one of the best things on UK British television right now, and mm. I think it's genius kind of format. And these things kind of let you think about other things. And, mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, reading, culture, all those kind of things. Plus my parents, you know, they they are constantly bringing me back to the real world where I'll be like, ooh, I just did this, mom. And she'll be like, so what? <laughs> like, you know, tell me, how is it helping humanity? I'm like, ooh, okay, that's a very good question. She's your grounding <laughs> voice. She's definitely sure. <laughs> my grounding voice. Mm. So, no, yeah, I think if anybody, awesome. yeah. Mm. That's good advice. Um, what's your definition of success today? And has it evolved over the years? I had asked you the same question when you came to London 17 years ago, for example. Uh, my definition of success has absolutely changed. When I was at Wharton as an undergrad, I thought success was having a million dollars in your bank account by the time you were 30. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. <laughs> not to say that that's why my, reason of uh, my definition of success has changed. Um, my definition of success today is doing things that you love with people that you admire. And I think it's about having a balance of healthiness, mm -hmm. mental health, you know, positive mental health, physical, men uh, physical health, and also just, you know, being able to experience incredibly new things every day. Mm -hmm. And that for me is success. Mm -hmm. It's not about owning things. I'm lucky that I get to see the most beautiful things being produced mm -hmm. yes. on a constant basis. And I have such admiration for craft. Mm. But I no longer kind of crave physical things. I think I, I, think I, you know, I crave experiences mm -hmm. and I crave being surrounded by people who make beautiful things. Mm -hmm. And that for me is success. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I used to equate it with money and I yeah. no longer do. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting for a Whartonite. <laughs> you know, that's uh, not your typical Whartonite mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. um, as an entrepreneur and in your path, you know, at Tank over the, the, the past decade and more, what's the most difficult thing you had to do? Mm. You know, I think the most difficult thing as an entrepreneur is people people don't tell you as an entrepreneur when you're starting that your business is predicated on two things, and that is people and that is cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I think managing cash flow and managing people are two of the hardest things I've learned as an entrepreneur. Mm. And they're really boring answers. Mm. But, you know, in 2008, when the crisis hit, we had to go down from four issues a year to two issues a year mm. just to manage cash flow. And that right. was like, oh, 
you know, hit you in the heart. Yeah. yeah. But thank God we did that yeah. because two years later we were able to go back up to four issues a yeah. year yeah. and continue publishing voices that we really loved more frequently. You know, seeing people come and go from our team, it sort of, sometimes it feels really personal, but I've learned that it never is, mm -hmm. that it's just the cycle of, of kind of career progression. And I'm so proud of the alumni that we've had at Tank. Mm -hmm. You know, they are doing incredible things. And whether they start at Tank and go off to do amazing things or their career midterm at Tank, you know, it's just, it's yeah. an amazing thing. And I've learned to kind of that over 17 years, I've seen a lot of people come and go and I've been able to interact with some incredible people, many of whom I've, you know, are still dear to my heart and, mm -hmm. and kept close to um, what we do. So I think those two things are constant challenges for mm -hmm. us. Obviously, you know, industry forces and market nature and being an independent magazine and a world that was all about the big brands and that's coming back into our favor. So mm. things I've seen so many cycles that um, for me, it's just how do you, you know, keep a small business and I've never wanted a large business mm -hmm. weirdly. I like being mm -hmm. able to interact with everybody on my team. Mm. I like having a small business to manage. I don't know. It's just. Um, it's a constant challenge, mm -hmm. but I think you have to, f you have to want to fight for it right. in right. order for you to continue. Mm -hmm. I had a very successful blogger in Marrakesh go, God, like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, you know? And I just thought, I told her, you know, you have to want to fight for it. And yeah. If you don't want to fight for it anymore, forget it. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. And you can move on to the next thing and you will be successful at the next thing. Yeah. But you want to continue to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and I have a couple of questions that mm. I ask all of my guests on mm. the Brand is Female. And the first one is, if you could go back in time, 10 years more or whatever, is there one thing you do differently, one thing that you would change? Hmm. If I had to go back 10 years in time or more, is there one thing I would change? Mm -hmm. No. Honestly, I think all my mistakes, all my successes have led me to where I am. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah, I don't think I would change anything. Mm -hmm. No, I've had a fashion stylist say, "I would have picked different shoes over the years." <laughs> I thought that was a good answer. That is a good and answer. If, and if that's the yeah. only thing you would change, true, then God, life is lucky good. them. I mean, I had a really bad haircut when I started a tank, <laughs> but you know, that's that's just life. Yeah. That's just life, and you got to learn through it. Well, you have fantastic hair. Though, so. <laughs> I don't know about now. But no, I, I think everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful to all my mistakes. And if we fast forward 10, 15 years from now, looking back, what would be the one thing that would make you the most proud? Mm. Uh, you know, the one thing that would make me the most proud is if we had left a legacy of... Um, stories and storytelling that stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. My magazine, well, Tank Magazine turned 20 last year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I am incredibly proud of the stories, the talents, the writers, the words, the images um, of every single issue. And I would love for that in this day of constant kind of yearn and churn of content 
for that to have continued over the next 10 years. And, mm. and the way we tell stories might change. Yeah. And the platforms we have yes. will definitely change. But I, I think, you know, legacy for us is, is around, um, like I said, kind of sharing a platform of voices that don't necessarily get heard mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And diverse voices from around the world. And um, that, for me, is really important. Mm -hmm. Is there a book that influence your life, mark your life, change your life, mm. and maybe a book that you find yourself going back to? Mm. You know, when I was a teenager, I can't remember the title, but Anita Roddick, who was the founder of The Body Shop, she yes. sadly passed away. Mm -hmm. I read her book about mm -hmm. setting up Body Shop. And that's, I think... In addition to sort of my parents being entrepreneurs, but she sort of led the way around socially responsible businesses, being an, a woman entrepreneur, yeah. and creating a global brand that everyone around the world knew about. That really inspired me. And cleaning out my teenage bedroom in Montreal because my parents were moving last summer, I found the book. Oh, wow. And it's <laughs> next to me on my bedside table. I and I that. kind of... Um, kind of delve into it every mm. once in a while. Mm. And I think that was really a book that really influenced me. Mm. And then this other book that my mom had given me after college called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, read it and it was super, super helpful. But it's really the title that I kind of keep going back to all the time. And it's funny because my next question was going to be, is there a quote or a saying <laughs> that you repeat to yourself or others yeah. often? And I've heard you yeah. use that quote. Yeah. And I, I, I have referred to that quote thinking of you. Yeah. No, absolutely. Feel the fear and do it anyway is, is a mantra that I tell myself daily. Mm. Um, but so is live life with passion. Mm -hmm. You know, I think life is short and you should love what you do, love the people you work with, love the people you interact with mm. and feel that every day is a day that you're kind of happy and passionate to be doing what you're doing, no matter how you're spending your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, live life with passion and feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. <laughs> is there one thing you wish women would do more of? Mm. Yes, I wish women would put their hand up and say yes more often. Mm. I think women um, as a sex, there's something in our DNA that, that makes us shyer, makes us less willing to put ourselves forward for mm. fear of uh, disappointment or failure. Mm -hmm. And I think women have to put their hands up and say yes. And um, it was interesting, last year I got asked by Marty Wickstrom, Um, the ex-CEO of Harrods, who, you know, is this incredible woman. She called me up and she's like, look, I'm on this, I'm on the board of uh, the retail forum that's kind of this global retail forum and we have uh, a smaller kind of symposium just for women in retail and we always ask for a speaker to mm. um, come and talk to these, this group of women. Would you do it and talk about what you, you, what you do? And I was like, oh, what have I done that would allow me to even talk to these incredible women like there's there's nothing that I've done mm. just like Caroline just say yes I was like okay that's great <laughs> advice Marty I will just say yes and I did it and you know there was the CEO of God like some of the biggest businesses in America and around the world mm. and I told them my my crazy career story and um, and at the end you know they all came up to me and especially the organizers and they said we wish more women would say yes mm to this especially, right. um, but, but for some reason, they're just 
they just don't. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, that's such a that's such an interesting way of encapsulating like the simplest thing. Um, and I think most of my career has literally been led by just saying yes. Yeah. So Feel yes. the fear, do it anyway. Feel the say fear, yes. do it anyway, <laughs> and just say yes. Mm -hmm. That's excellent advice. <laughs> and to conclude, what's next no. for Caroline and what's next mm. for Tank? Um, well, for me, I am personally launching a little capsule collection of summer dresses that are coming out July 5th. So exciting. So exciting. Because I live in summer dresses. Yeah. And so summer is... Summer in, in the UK is fluid, yeah. yes. <laughs> but um, uh, they're really fun and I got to work with this very, very amazing old print archive um, called Print One in mm. England with all these prints. And then in the fall, I'll be launching um, a little jewelry collaboration. Ooh, I'm excited for that. Yes. So that'll be really fun. Um, so there's two personal projects. And then we're just, you know, 21 years on, kind of keep on challenging the status quo with Tank and um, trying to put out really amazing stories. I love it. And actually, I have one last question since we are recording this the day after yeah. Met Gala. Yes. Favorite looks from last night. Oh, I mean, Lady Gaga. <laughs> yes. Totally brought As it always, home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of loved Kim Kardashian's Mugler, or, you know, original Mugler look. I know, Dripping I know. with yeah. sort of crystal. I thought mm -hmm. that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really interesting the way that she's kind of redefining... Um, so much mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for better or for worse yeah you know i will let you debate that <laughs> um and ezra miller with his seven eyes i think his yes. burberry look i thought was really fun but he's just somebody who's kind of constantly pushing boundaries mm -hmm. and i love that yeah so there was a lot of good stuff then yeah yeah I what did you it was, love um i actually loved eva chen yes probable yes probable had some amazing yeah. dresses last night i was very happy for him yeah um, and then, I mean, Cardi B was mm. always, she always makes such a statement. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That Tom Brown. Tom yeah. Brown. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, a big cushy red. red. Yeah. yeah. With her boobs kind of in crystal. It was incredible. Yeah. But it was such, it was an exciting lineup and yeah. I think everybody brought their A game. It yeah. Was, there was a lot of exciting looks. Yeah. I love the Met for that. I think the Met ball is so, um, kind of just. It's everything that's fun and glamorous and what fashion should be. Celine Dion. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> and Oscar de la Renta and those yeah. crystals. Yeah. Just having so much fun. Yeah. I mean, go Celine. That was great. Yeah. 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 Go Canada. <laughs> go Canada. <laughs> Thank you so much, Caroline. It was Thank great you, speaking Eva. to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'll be back in a week with a new guest on the show. Thank you so much for listening.